1: To be honest, I was scared reaching out for help because I was like, this could totally ruin my career.
2: Somebody to have a more proactive approach and that he was coming to me
0: to be that person. They found him and he committed suicide. I just started screaming. I just felt responsible. Hello everyone, I am Tim Lawson, host of the One Too Many Veteran Suicide Podcast. The show is designed to tell the stories behind veteran suicide and suicide in the military and veteran spaces. If you have not heard the first three episodes yet, please go to O N E, the number two project.com, and check out the first episodes played out for this project. You can also go to one too many project.com slash iTunes to be brought straight to the iTunes page where you can subscribe and leave a review. I know I'm a couple days late this week with releasing the show, but. Uh, due to a busy schedule and just some exhaustion. I did not have the opportunity to finish this episode and I didn't want to force anything. I didn't want to uh, lazily do it. I wanted to make sure that it was done right. So I, I delayed the, the release. So uh, here it is a couple days late, but I, it's, uh, it's really it's one of the first episodes or one of the first interviews that I did for the show and um, it was really powerful. And I want to make sure that you know, it was done right, of course. Um, As always, please respect my guests, their stories. I do not want anyone to regret coming forward um, and bravely sharing their experiences. But before I get into today's story, I want to give an honorable mention to Adam Darrell and the EVA application. EVA stands for Emotion Vitality Assistant, and it will be an application that extends face-to-face mental health care to the cyberspace, allowing patients to privately connect and interact with their personal counselor in real time while on the go. I talked to Daryl, one of the developers, about it, and it it sounds amazing. It's going to be, um, you know, I'm very excited to help spread the word about EVA once it launches, and I've been assured. Uh, that that's happening very soon. So um, it's an exciting development in both mental health and techno- in the technology world, and I'm really proud to have it as today's sponsor. This week's guest is Marine veteran David Peters. David is a friend of mine that I met on the MSG program in while, while we were both serving in the Marine Corps, and his his story is a great example of of how... Depression and suicidal behavior doesn't, you know, while occurring in the while a service member is serving, doesn't necessarily um, have to do with their service. A lot of times, it stem it can stem from other um, sources while they're serving or events that occurred before they started serving. And um, you know, David's a good example of that. And he he talks to us about um, you know the, how he. Experiences his, de- his depression, reaching out for help, and what that experience was like. And while while parts of his story is are heartbreaking, it's also opti- it's also optimistic in the sense that you know I, be- I believe that it's a good example also of how the unit responded properly and were able to get him the care that he needs. So there's a few things that you know, a few reasons why this is a great story and why I wanted to make sure that it got told. It's one, like I said, it's one of the first interviews that I've done. So you will hear me reference things that maybe I've already published on the show as something that I'm going to publish. Um, uh, this was back before I really knew how I was going to format each show and what the design and structure was going to be. So, um, take a moment to listen to David's story.
1: I guess the biggest, one of the few insights I have at all on depression is, um, it's not rational it's uh, it's not thinking the way everyone else thinks and it's not feeling the same way that everyone else feels um the big sort of event that led to me being uh, discharged from the US Marine Corps um i i was planning and uh came very close to attempting suicide uh on post at the US embassy in Bratislava i'd gone through uh the various weapon conditions on my M9 uh, I was prepared to shoot myself uh, and I called my family um, to sort of say goodbye they didn't really know it but I think my mom had that sort of that intuition to know that something's not right we eventually got to talking and I told her you know I'm I'm sorry um, you know I, I I just don't feel like I have any right to be here anymore and uh, eventually she talked me down and she even she put my niece on the phone and she she encouraged me to go seek help. And so I reached out to the embassy nurse. Um, she was very considerate. She eventually reached out to my detachment commander. And from there, uh, medevac to Washington, D.C. I got a psych eval prior to that in Vienna. Um, so all of that without any context doesn't make any sense and i guess that's sort of where things start i didn't really understand why i had sort of gotten to that place all i understood that i was frustrated and i was lonely and i didn't really have anyone at that point to talk to about that or didn't feel comfortable enough talking to them rather
0: do you do you feel like your environment led to any of that was it the um, being in a foreign country, was it being a, just away from home? Was it just, um, you know, was there maybe a non-military related, you know, aspect going on?
1: Yeah, so there's a number of things. Um, at that time, I found out that there'd been a lot of physical and sexual abuse going on with my younger siblings. Um, and growing up, I'd always been the one to sort of step in and protect them from that you know if someone was going to get hit it was going to be me because i was the oldest kid and i had a loud mouth and a large temper so i could i could take it so i found out that was going on and i felt like i'd really failed my family um i'd gone sort of gallivanting across the world uh and a job I, i frankly i loved in the marine corps as a radio operator and as an embassy guard um but i felt like i'd let them down I grew up with uh, abuse as a kid, so I was kind of surprised when I was reading on Facebook uh, some of the quotes you were... Uh, so that was, that was one component. Um, not only had I been abused, but I wasn't able to prevent that. And, you know, learning to accept that I had no control over that um, was something that took some time. You know, there's no way I could have stopped that on the other side of the world. Uh, um, and I was...
0: If you don't mind me interrupting yeah, um was, yeah, no it, was that um sort of do you think that was closer to the the idea of like survivor's guilt or do you think it was just you felt so detached from your ability to do anything about it that you almost it was just uh i th-
1: i think it's i think it's a little bit of both I mean there's certainly a sort of survivor's guilt and just sort of reopening those wounds um and then. Not being able to do anything about that when I felt so powerless myself when I was a kid, and to see my younger siblings who were entering that same situation, that I, you know, I was sort of I was sort of at the lowest point in my life. Right. I would say.
0: Yeah. Um. Was the was the Marine Corps? And I don't think that they ask these questions, obviously. And I don't. I don't. They're not required to know, but. Was anybody of authority aware of, you know, your, your past? Um,
1: Um, no. I mean, it's, it's not something that ever really comes up. Right. And it's not something that gets, you know, advertised. I mean, people rarely acknowledge if they've been abused. Um, even if it's in a, in a setting where there might be help for addressing that.
0: Yeah. Uh, so let's, um, so before we start talking about like your treatment and, you know, what the, what the Marine Corps did about it, what was the response that you got from your fellow detachment members and the, you know, like the, that chain of command in general? Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm asking because, mm-hmm. um, you know... Something that me and Dr. Brian talked about and, you know, and I mean, the things that me and him went through or talked about were really fascinating. And it's some stuff that it's, uh, it's so counterintuitive to the way that the military thinks, but it's something that we need to start acknowledging is, you know, we, we, we breed Marines to be self-sufficient, to be self-motivated, um, to be self-aware, like, you know, we have, we, we force Marines, uh, to look inward, find something strong, and then, and then push it outward. And sometimes when there is a, um, and, you know, in the conversation I was having with him, we were focusing on, you know, males who received, um, you know, sexual abuse inside the military and how, like, that breeds, that are that, that, dis- that displays Weakness towards other people, and that's what that's where fear is. So, I would. So, um, when you were admitting that you were depressed and that you were having these issues, what sort of responses did you see both from your colleagues and from your chain of command?
1: Um, I was, I was honestly surprised. Uh, that my detachment commander was very supportive. Um, and our, our A duty uh he was also just extremely supportive um he had he had gone through some rough phases in his life and everyone it sort of it sort of started a few different conversations for the few days you know when i was sort of on suicide watch before going to dc and uh the nmc um you know we just started sharing bits about ourselves that we had never felt comfortable before yeah uh, you know, I'd find out that um, our assistant detachment commander, he, you know, his mom had cancer and, you know, he had struggled with a whole bunch of other things in his own personal life. And another one of them, his mother had just passed away the year before and, or in a couple of years prior. So I, I, At at that point, I had also felt, you know, just really isolated. I'd just gotten there a few months prior. Um, we were kind of days on, stays on. We didn't really get to know each other much because one of us, um, we never really got days off. Um, and I kind of isolated myself too. I, I struggled to relate, I guess. I didn't put myself out there as much, but part of that is, you know, I mean, you've, you've,
0: (laughs) you've been on the program. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah yeah and you i'm not and this is something that i'll you know i will i haven't decided how i'm gonna expose this um you know in the podcast yet, but I do put on talking about my own battles with suicide um you know a lot of pe you know I, you know several people you know just curious want to know why why this project you know why am I tackling this um yeah. and obviously you know you know I've had my own personal battles with suicide um not just like not just the temptation to kill myself but the realization that I could. And that's what really scared, that's what, that's what really scared me is when, and I remember I was walking, I remember it's so, so well. I was walking down the strip in Vegas and, um, I just had a really alone moment and which was amazing is like, it wasn't like one of these weird, um, oh, I, you know, I just done all these crazy things in Vegas and I I was having a very normal life moment. Um, (laughs) but I was very alone. Like my friends were, my friend was back home. I didn't really have, like I was there by myself and I started getting depressed and then, I didn't really start thinking about killing myself, but I started, but th- uh, a feeling came over me that told me if you wanted to, you could, and not just like you could, like literally I could, you know, if I found a guy, but like I would be, my mental capacity was, was there to be able to take my own life and it scared me. And so when, and then obviously I am a veteran and. Um, you know, you put those two things together and, you know, I obviously become passionate about veteran suicide. And I think that since the military is such a special subculture to society, that if we can figure out resolutions inside the military, they could probably translate over to most areas of America because, you know, if you can figure it out in a small subsystem, the subculture, you can definitely get it to, to, to blanket over some other ideas. Um, so that's, that's a lot of where my motivation on trying to tackle this comes from. Luckily, I had this realization post Marine Corps. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I had a couple moments in the Marine Corps where I wondered, I was like, I wonder if the, ba- I wonder if the bad feelings I'm feeling right now will ever get bad enough, you know? Um, but I never thought I, but I always dismissed it with, well, I would never do that anyways. Um, but it, it's scary because you are sitting there with three loaded weapons around you. And, you know, and like, you know, on the, on the MSG program, like you and I were, like, you're sitting there, like, with a load weapon on your hip and two more in the corner. And it's like, I could see, like, this, you know, and no one would find me for six hours. You know, and it, it starts, like, it starts scaring, like, if, if things really get bad enough, like, this could happen. And, and that's something, and that's where I think, you know, the, obviously, higher officials take it seriously, but they're not there in post. Like, they don't see, like, you know, they don't uh it's not as in their face as, as I think it really should be. And so I I'm glad that you're noting that this is just like this came from like general depression, from you know, possibly you know, from things that stem to your childhood because a lot of people mistaken veteran suicide. I don't mean to I don't mean to completely uh, trump the conversation here, but um you know one of the things that this project's also going to highlight is that it's not just PTSD related. You know, it's not just combat experience related. Not everybody who's offing themselves in the military are coming out of the bad experience in combat. You know, some people are just, they're, yeah. de- they're dealing with real life and they're in this, they're in this crazy different subculture that it becomes real life in a not, in a not real life situation. And then they learn how to deal with it in the military and then they get thrown out of the military and then they have to face real life stuff in real life or they can't face it in the military and they get shoved out of the military and they still have to make that adjustment. Transition has been a, a big common theme in what I've been talking to people about, but um, mm-hmm. I've, I've gone on a, a, a little bit of a rant too much. But I want to, you know, sort of yeah. give you an idea of where I'm coming from as someone who's trying to portray these stories. Um, so let's, let's talk about then. So it was well received by, so camaraderie, I think, is one thing that the, that the Marine Corps or, you know, the military in general can definitely do, um, can definitely promote. Um, and they do that enough, obviously, but that's something that's, you know, it's sort of like a, a wipe off the brow, like few, like that's an easy one. You know, it's, that's, that's mm-hmm. something that we can easily do to, to sort of, um, encourage, uh, service members to to stay optimistic and, and, uh, and supported. Um, so then let's go to like your, your, your treatments and your transition. Um, so what's, you know, how, do you feel like the Marine Corps and the military, the government in general took your situation serious enough and gave you, the, gave you what you needed?
1: Uh, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, for a while there, it was, it was, it was tough to just accept treatment. Um, just cause, you know, I was, I was in a lot of ways denying it would be a problem. I thought, you know, somewhat naively that, you know, I'll just, I'll go to the embassy nurse and I could totally, you know, maybe be on medication for a while and I'll totally be fine and continue after nearly killing myself. <laughs> like, yeah that's that's where my sort of rational thinking about things was okay this clearly doesn't make any sense like i'm not only risking my security and my welfare i'm also risking those around me uh, who are also on post and you know trying to live their lives and it it took a while for me to accept that even though i felt like i'd i'd let them down as well In addition to my family, I'd let them down as, uh, you know, not being there, we had just barely gotten a new guy so we could come off days on stays on, you know, just realizing that it was for the best cause that, um, if you have to, as much as it pained me to come forward to, uh, the embassy nurse and as discomforting as it might be in the short run, um, it was better for my health and it was better for the unit, the detachment as a whole to have come forward and actually, you know, tried to seek solutions um, before it became something where someone needed to intervene.
0: Did you, um, okay, so then like you're, you're, so you got the treatment that you that you needed, you felt like the government took it seriously, which is great. Um, obviously, that's something that we always worry about and always gets talked about is, yeah. you know, whether or not we're treating you know, veterans, right. And I think maybe it helps it. Um, and I, I'd, I, I'd, you know, I, I think it helped that you were in a situation where, you know, you're under exposure of more than just the military, you know, with diplomats there, foreign country there, stuff like that. So I think maybe they take that a little bit more sensitively to, you know, to make sure that, um, that anybody who's observing a situation knows that it was taken care of the right way. Um, so it's, how long, how long was that, um, between you coming, you checking in, um, at, at the medical center, um, to you being discharged from the Marine Corps? How long of a time was that? Uh,
1: it was a year almost to the date.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. so, I mean, what did they address? I guess, like, were they trying yeah. to address the, the source of the depression or were they really just trying to battle your, any suicidal behavior?
1: Well, f- yeah, first off, they, it's obviously, I mean, when someone comes forward about suicidal behavior, that's kind of the most delicate hours, because they're more likely to attempt again during that period, yeah. uh, for a variety of reasons. I mean, I felt intense shame, you know, letting down my unit and stuff, and, you know, I was, I was put on suicide watch for a while. I was put in the psych ward, Seven West, um, in uh, National Naval Medical Center up there in Bethesda. And I I made another attempt while I was in there. I tried hanging myself one night um, and uh, I wound up on even more stringent suicide watch until I started talking about things. Um, You know, they put me on a combination of medication. I was in group therapy, individual therapy, to really just try and get at what underneath was causing it. But definitely it's to stabilize the condition and try at first. And then you move on to, okay, what are the causes for the condition?
0: Do you feel like, um, and you know, I, I may be, uh, I may be digging into your personal life a little bit here. Yeah. Um, but do you, I mean, do you feel like there was any part of your character or behavior that, um, had, had they been paying attention, someone would have been picked up on this in your first couple years in the military?
1: Yeah, so um, I think that this kind of opens up another personal area of my life. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a bisexual man. I've dated men and dated women, and I dated men while I was in the Marine Corps. Um, and under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, you know, you kind of learn to live a dual life. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't talk to anyone about that aspect you know you change the gender pronouns and you know you met a a female sergeant in the army down at Kadena in okinawa and it was great you know um so you learn to sort of not talk about yourself One night we had been uh (laughs) we kind of got roughed out um we were walking home Uh, my boyfriend at the time steve um and we we didn't even want to go to like Base medical or anything to get treated, and we had been <laughs> we had been sort of kicked and roughed up and tossed in a ditch essentially. But we didn't want to like say anything because you know what if they found the people and then they were like oh they were two guys holding hands and we called them fags. I guess I learned to shut down pretty hard then uh, about my personal life that, and I I didn't want to bother people. I mean everyone's struggling, everyone has their own personal demons. They've got their families to worry about. They've got their loved ones, uh, even if we're putting on this sort of machismo, uh, culture, you know, that, you know, we're, we're tough and we're ready to kill and nothing's going <laughs> to affect us. And yeah, yeah. And things totally can affect us.
0: <laughs> yeah, it does. Like you could,
1: you could see people implode that, you know, but
0: yeah, I was going to say, I think, um, you know, I- you know they always make fun of it and you know we talk we're we're specifically talking about the marine corps because you know that's the branch you know we're both in but i'm sure this this could stretch across the other branches but you know in the marine corps you know like yeah you're 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 kill 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 you know that that's what we do yeah um you know blood makes the grass grow um (laughs) but you know what i mean i i'm a very emotional capable person like i have a high capacity for a long like a very wide range of emotions um you know, I can sit around and talk to people about the most depressing shit and the most, you know, quote unquote, soft, gentle ideas. I mean, if anybody saw me how the way or how I act around my girlfriend, they would think I was, a, you know, quote unquote, pussy. You know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. they, would, they would assume there's no way I'm capable of of taking a man's life. But, I mean, you know, I could be that way and then be told that there's, you know, that there's. Terrorists coming over the wall and I could snap right back into being, you know, a United States Marine and, you know, kill babies. And, um, it's, I think we assume that as soon as you let someone get in touch with their emotions or their weaknesses, that that's what they become. And I don't, I think that the Marine Corps and the military, especially is starting to learn slowly that letting them express that side means that they get to exhaust it and it doesn't, it no longer becomes distracting. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that's who they are, um, ultimately. And I think the Marine Corps needs to start. And, you know, again, I'm emphasizing them cause that's what we were both in. I think the Marine Corps, yeah. you know, needs to realize that, you know, while you don't want a bunch of Marines sitting around talking about, you know, the bachelor and, you know, talking about how they, you know, how they think that the guy on there is really cute. And, um, and, and, and um, you know, my point is, you don't want that soft behavior being, um, your time in the military, but I think they need to start realizing that letting people have an opportunity, even if it means putting them into, um, in a room with a counselor and letting them cry and punch some pillows a little bit, it doesn't mean that they can't turn around and be mission ready the next day. Um, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: so, so you, do you feel like, um, and this is sort of off topic, but I'm just curious now. Um, do you feel like ha if, if don't ask, don't tell had been repealed at time and had it, had it not been a big deal that you were, um, you know, dating a man, uh, while in the military, do you feel like that would have positively impacted that situation?
1: I, I think it would have positively impacted. I'm not sure if I wouldn't or would make the same, uh, same choices over again. Sure. Um, I mean, there was a lot of different components going on. You get isolation in another country, abused as a child, finding out that that's going on at home. Yeah. And you can't talk about half your personal life most of the time. So, um, it kind of, it kind of narrows the scope of who I could be and at work and when I was off duty.
0: So, while you were in, obviously you had contacted other people who were struggling with this, right? While you were in treatment.
1: Oh uh, yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. So what's, um, you know, I don't need specific stories, but, you know, what were a lot of, like, what were some of the backgrounds, um, as far as the reasons for suicidal behavior? Like, were you seeing mostly PTSD? Were you seeing a lot of sexual assault? Were you seeing, you know, none of the above, all of the above? What were you seeing?
1: Yeah, so, um, I was in, I was in Seven West, the psychiatric ward, and we took in some people from Walter Reed. So we had some Army. Uh, but it was predominantly Navy and Marine Corps, and then also, you know, one or two uh, dependents who were also up there with us, and quite a few uh, veterans who'd already gone out but were back in. So our backgrounds, you know, we ranged from a PFC who who had just gotten to her unit in the army just gotten out of uh, her sort of the equivalent of an MLS school um, to uh, we had a full board colonel uh, who was both depressive and he had a he had a schizophrenic episode um, and I don't want to go into any more detail at that right, I right. Don't wanna, yeah but uh, yeah in terms of background in terms of what people were going through And in terms of, you know, whether or not they had great support structures or didn't, um, it just all over the map. I mean, some people felt incredibly comfortable discussing how they felt despite, you know, just the horrific shit they'd been through and were considering doing to themselves or others. And some people were very uncomfortable. It wasn't something they were used to even before the military. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you, um, you know, so how long ago was that? How long since your final day um, at this center? Or since you've been discharged, I guess?
1: Yeah, so I was discharged in uh, October of 2009. Um, I was in the psych ward from November 2008 to uh, practically December of 2008. And then I was transferred sort of on base, but across the street from the hospital. Uh, and uh, I think it was Mercy Hall was the name. And that's where they have a lot of patients who are either they're going through physical therapy or they're getting a new fitting for their their leg that's being replaced, people who have depression issues, people who have substance abuse issues. Um, they sort of all get put there and they work with the Marine Corps liaison office, the actual Active duty Marines who are managing and ensuring that they're taken care of and making their appointments, you know, going to the VA, going to the doctors. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: Do you, so then, um, you know, between your discharge and now, I mean, have you, are you experiencing any more of these um, behavioral episodes or how's that working out for you now? Um, It was,
1: it wasn't a smooth transition. Um, It's gotten better. Uh, and right now I can say I'm the most stable and the happiest I've been in a long, long time. Um, but there were, there were a few attempts in the interim. Just, uh, I kind of isolated myself from everyone. I felt, I still felt those feelings of shame and I had to work with a counselor. Um, tried various medications and, uh, found out, you know, those really just haven't worked for me, but they work for some people. Um,
0: yeah. What uh, you know and so obviously, you know the you know the the end state that we want to have with this project is talking about resolution and optimism mm-hmm. and where the hope is in all of this. And I think your story is really interesting because it's not typical of what we're used to hearing from um you know suicide behavior inside veterans, you know, usually it's the PTSD from combat sexual trauma. Um, you know, a lot of times it's the, you know, like I talked to Paul Zoldra and he was taught, he was like, you know, he's like, I was fine actually until I, until I got out of the Marine Corps and then I couldn't get a job and I didn't have a lot of money for my family. And then I wanted to kill myself. You know, like it was, it had nothing to do with, you know, with being in the military. It was getting out of the military that became so hard and it was real life problems. And, um, you know, and then, you know, he, he spoke up, he's like, but then I got a job and then I got it repurposed in my life. And, um, yeah. you know, so it was, it was interesting talking to him and then talking to Dr. Brian about PTSD for both combat and sexual trauma. And now it's really interesting. I'm talking to you about sort of pre military conditions that, um, that carried on and became a problem while you were in the military, but didn't necessarily have anything to do specifically with your experience in the mil- military. Um, you know, and, and, you know, problems at home. And again, it just, it highlights the fact that it's, you know, it's, it's real life problems that you're dealing with. You're just dealing with it in this subculture of the military. Um, is, I mean, is there anything else that you want to speak on as far as, um, your experience with, um, you know, with, uh, suicidal behavior or depression? You know, it, and even if it's speaking on things that you've noticed has been, that have benefited or has helped, um, you know, uh, help you move past this?
1: Definitely getting to know your Marines, especially as an NCO. Uh, I know we want to we instill good military order and discipline as uh, hard charging NCOs in our, our junior personnel. Um, but understanding where they're coming from uh, really, I mean, it, it helped me, and I'm sure there's someone out there who, you know, videos about talking about Seeking help for depression is uh, is taboo, sort of in uh, in some in some circles. Yeah, uh, especially uh, yeah. There's definitely a stigma when you first get out of boot camp because there's this association we sort of have with oh, it's just someone who could cut it, and they're you know they're totally they're making up their feelings because we totally have access to how they feel and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Like, we totally know what they're going through and they're obviously faking. And people legitimately have some fucked up shit to deal with sometimes. And sometimes terrible things happen to them and they were fine before and now things just aren't okay and they just need to be able to talk about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's, it's amazing how being able to vent to the right ear is so helpful. You know, I mean, and some and it's amazing how it's not always the same person. Um, yeah. you know, I've had times where venting to my mom has been all I needed, like a quick call to mom, mom makes everything okay and we're done. And sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes I need the person sometimes I need that neutral third party. You know, I need that person who knows nothing about me to listen to my problems and let have them not even say anything, just to hear it. And sometimes it's, you know, my girlfriend and sometimes it's my fellow Marine. And I think something that we we focus so much on being qualified to deal with people's problems. You know what I mean? We want people to see counselors and medical professionals. And while they have great – while they have the qualifications and the education to be able to diagnose and be able to sort of, you know, whoever is suffering in the right direction to, you know, overcoming their struggle – you know, it that doesn't mean they're the only person who's capable of making a positive impact on that person's issues. Um, Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I think that highlights the, the greater issue of treatment for depression. There isn't something that one size fits all. I mean, it's in some ways, it's a little bit like treating cancer. Everyone's cancer is different. It affects different people at different stages of their life and affects different parts of their body. You know, and with treating depression, there isn't sort of a one stop solution. The same medications won't even work the same way on different people. The same types of counseling are going to work the same way on people. So, people, um, fellow veterans that are going through treatment, and it's fucking discouraging when, you know, something isn't working and, you know, you're sort of dwindling back to those dark hours that you know dark night of the soul as they describe um yeah yeah, just understanding that there are other solutions and you know if it isn't working for you talk it over with someone you know find a different support group if you're not getting sort of the help you need or finding that outlet for you know your anger or your despair
0: um, this I don't know if this is a to, question yeah. you can answer because I know I know people responded quickly to your needs um yeah. did, do you do you, did you notice um any difference in how you in your comfort level between um help that you sought out and the help that sought out you
1: mm, could you rephrase that question? I'm not quite sure what you mean
0: um yeah so I'm trying to I'm trying to like you know because we keep we tell. We're trying to encourage vets to seek help when you need it, but we also try to encourage society and our peers to pay attention and listen and try to help, you know, try to be proactive. And I'm Mm -hmm. trying to see if like, if maybe you noticed a difference between the two on how your comfort level, like, were you, did you feel better about reaching out for help and getting it? Or did you feel any differently about the help that came to you ask, you know, looking to, to try to help you?
1: To be honest, I was fucking scared shitless reaching out for help. Cause I was like, this could totally ruin my career yeah. and this will totally reflect poorly on me. And I feel totally ashamed that I'm, you know, that I'm not living up to this ideal of being strong and tough and incredibly resilient and nothing can affect me. So it was, it was scary reaching out for help. Um, yeah. Makes I don't sense. think, I think a lot of the warning signs, uh, and there were some, um, for a while there, I cut. No one really brought it up. They just, you know, and I'd make up excuses. it would be like, oh, I was moving Constantine wire, which I did, and, you know, moving bales of wire. And, you know, you wind up with cuts in your arm on Monday. No one really questions it. You yeah. know, sometimes, sometimes asking directly might be uncomfortable for a small unit leader. And it may be even uncomfortable for the person being asked. But um, if you can find a way to tactfully do it, you know, not in front of someone's peers. Yeah not so that they're feeling like they're going to be shamed about it uh i think that might it might be at least a place to start for some people
0: i think it's really really important there how he points out that it was good for the unit for him to get help i think it's very it's uh it's important to realize that not only are you not a liability but it's it's good for the unit as a whole that when someone who's facing mental and emotional health issues that you do get help, and that you're a bigger liability when you're not doing anything about it, and that you're suffering from um, depression and PTSD and emotional issues and you know relationship issues. It's important that that you reach out and that you tell people, you know, that you at least find a way to get the help that you need. So that way you can begin to heal and recover and that you're no longer, um, you know, this sort of, you're no longer tormenting yourself with these problems um, while, you know, your fans, family, and units are, are unaware. Um, and, you know, and, and because the military is so mission focused, it is important for us to, um, to to take that responsibility and reach out. Um I mentioned how Dr. Brian talks about you know self-awareness, self-sufficient um, people, and um, and what that is in the process of um, you know emotional, mental health, and whatnot. Um, here is a snippet from that interview with Dr. Brian. He is at the University of Utah with the Veteran Studies Center. Um, so here's my inter- here's a snippet from my interview with, with Dr. Bryan.
2: Um, but I think we need to look at this not only from a larger social and societal perspective, but we also need to understand and appreciate the military culture itself. And so here it's like if, if we want to prevent suicide in the military, you know, we can't come into an organization that, you know, has certain values about self sacrifice, about uh, emotional suppression, uh, self reliance. You know, placing other goals or other ideals above one's own well-being and safety um, with a group of people who have been trained to tolerate pain at a higher level than what most Americans are trained or experience or to walk or run towards sources of violence and aggression as opposed to running away or cowering and hunkering down and I think we have largely failed to take those types of dynamics into consideration, which is why, by and large, I think service members – I remember when I was in the military, I felt the same way. It was like roll your eyes every time you get a mental health briefing or something like that because it wasn't connecting with the identity of the men and women that were supposed to be trying to help.
0: I've mentioned before, I try, I've try. i had a couple Google Hangouts beca- uh, for each episode um, because of just how this week is with the holiday, and I know everybody's busy. I'm going to not have a Hangout this week, um, but do expect me to have one again. Next week, uh, the second week of July, um, where I will be t- going over um, this in- this interview or this story uh, and next week's. And I hope that uh, there may be an opportunity for me to actually get one of those two guests to come and join us on the Hangout to give you uh, real-time answers on questions you may have regarding their story and, and some of their experiences. Um, the resource for for this week that I want to emphasize are the small unit leaders. Um, I know we've, I know some of the, uh, the first week the resource was, you know, uh, friends or, uh, you know, some sort of mentor, but this is specifically the small unit leader. Um, and this isn't just a resource for people who are going through, you know, this isn't just for the veteran who is experiencing this, but if you're a family member and you notice that you're, that you're military, um, you know your son or your brother or you know your your daughter or whoever is experiencing these issues going to their squad leader or their shop leader it could be very, you know, it could be a great step into trying to help them recover and letting their leadership know, or at least reaching out to them and seeing if they've not, if they've if they've noticed anything at work, um, and then also, you know, if if you're, if you're the one experiencing these issues, going to your squad leader when that's probably the great first step in trying to, you know, get help within your unit and possibly seeing a chaplain or a nurse or whoever it may be. And, of course, each week I have to thank a few of my Kickstarter backers who ultimately made the launch of this project possible. This week I have to thank Mark Bayer, Casey Suvamaki, and Sean Reardon uh, for their support and their, their willingness to pledge. I appreciate the help. Thank you.
1: We hope you've taken something from this episode. If you'd like to learn more, please connect with us on our
0: website, one to many That's O-N-E, the number two, many-project.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook,
1: iTunes, and Stitcher, all linked from our site. Lastly, if you'd like to support the project by becoming a sponsor, contact Tim at timlawson21 at gmail.com or going to one to many slash
0: sponsorship. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.